Hey, Meg and Dr. G here, and today we are speaking with two amazing women, former competitive swimmer, world record holder, and silver medalist, Allison Wagner, joins us as the Director of Athlete and International Relations at USADA, the United States Anti-Doping Agency, and Dr. Laura Lewis, who, as Director of Science at USADA, provides scientific expertise across testing result management, and educational programs while leading the Athlete Biological Passport Testing Programs. Ladies, welcome to SPKN. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us, Megan, Dr. G. Thank you, bro. Nice to meet you as well, uh, Dr. Lewis. Now, Allison, you received a silver medal in the 400-meter individual medley at the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Oh, good. I got it right. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about how that went and how you kind of that led to where you are now at, at USADA. Uh, yeah, so I swam the individual medley events and um, specialized in the uh, 200 and 400, did some breaststroke events and uh, as well. But yeah, so um, I competed uh, in the 90s and again in 2005 to 8, and I, um, in the mid-90s, raced against uh, some athletes um, who were later proven to have doped, and uh, those experiences really affected my um, sport career, but also my life, and in watching the uh, Russia scandal unfold, I realized that so many athletes around the world be, would be experiencing what I did as a clean athlete, which was a real uh, lack of faith that the system worked and um, suffering injustice and all of the costs that, that athletes pay in those situations. Um, I understand and I was motivated to try and help. So I eventually ended up here at USADA and glad to be a part of the effort to protect clean athletes. That's wonderful. There's, there's so many times that athletes have things that that go on during their career that lead them to such great work so thank you for for doing that laura do you want to share a little bit about how you came to asada yeah sure so um i'm australian and i i did my phd in at the australian institute of sport so in the high performance network uh in australia and this early parts of my career i was working i guess on the front line supporting athletes um to try and improve their performance through various physiological and completely, you know, legal um, means. But then as, as my career evolved, I, I realized that, you know, I was always going to be on the periphery in that kind of role and that my um, effect on, on clean sport was quite limited. And so I really wanted to move um, into the, into anti-doping to work on more of a global scale and have a, a as big an impact um in terms of clean sport and serving a wider range of athletes as possible. So um, I started to do a lot of anti-doping research back in Australia. And then when the opportunity came to, to join USADA, I, I jumped at it because USADA is really um, pushing the forefront um, of anti-doping on a global scale. And I wanted to be part of it. Well, you want to talk about just a little bit more about your background or educational background as well. Like what, if somebody wants to get involved in this kind of research and organizational setting, uh, like what would they what would be a recommended course or study and how to start doing that? 
Yeah, so there's a number of different angles and avenues that you could come through on. Um, for me personally, I did um, a Bachelor of Sport and Exercise Science and then went on to do a, a um, PhD in, in exercise physiology. And through that, I had the, the understanding of how um, athletes train and how um, how the body works and responds to different um stimuli so then moving through into anti-doping was kind of a natural step um, but you could also come through it through more a clinical um, lab kind of direction where you're actually you know working in a laboratory and, and really trying to understand and um, advance the testing that we actually do of the samples of athletes when they come through that so there's many many different options and then of course it, there's the administrative or managerial kind of avenue where you're you're more working on the the governance structure or the the test planning um, and the policies so plenty of different options for people wanting to get into this space well uh, that's enough for the niceties let me let me ask you a real tough one why do we even need usada i mean what if people want to drink you know rat poison to run faster do we really need to worry about that it's not going to take care of itself <laughs> i'm mean, obviously kidding but <laughs> yeah what i'll i mean what i'll say is level level playing field is a really important part of sport and anti-doping is a part of that um, effort. So, you know, most people get to know the rules of play um, as an athlete, you know, whatever sport they're participating in, there are rules of play. And, um, you know, those rules of play, uh, they, they create a level playing field in a lot of regards and anti-doping is um, an extension of that. Uh, the effort is to create an environment of fairness, respect and integrity and for athletes to have that confidence that it's a level playing field in terms of rules being followed by everybody uh that's part of uh, the anti-doping role in the world of sport i'll pass on to laura if you have something else to say yeah i i guess i just pick up from what you said about the rules for everybody and so that's not just everybody in the us it's everybody around the world and so there's a overarching body the world um, anti-doping agency that dictate the the rules and the code that we all have to abide by and then uh, the prohibited list which are the actual substances um, and methods that are also prohibited so everybody um, around the world signs up to the code um, and the prohibited list and then that's really where that you know, level playing field that Alison spoke about you know really comes to the fore because the same rules apply whether you're in um, Kenya or or the UK or Australia or the US you know so that athletes the goal is that athletes can turn up to these international events knowing that you know they should be subject to the same um, standards whether or not that actually happens is a, a different question but you know we're all we're all bound by the same set of rules. And when we're talking about then and taking it to USADA, when you think about the U.S. context in USADA, you know, I, I guess, I don't know, do you, do, you, do you have any touch points that you would like to touch on regarding the U.S. differences internationally and other really cool programs and elite institutes like AIS or Erasmus, other kind of enterprises like that that you, I don't think we tend to see in the U.S. I think the U.S. is a little bit more isolated than 
some of the international models and the collaborations that you see, especially in Europe, because of their different proximities. Well, I, I just say, like, in terms of, I think you were talking about two different things in that I think the U.S. is certainly leading the charge in terms of anti-doping and the, you know, our North Star is like serving athletes and that is not necessarily the same in other countries where it might be more of a bureaucratic um, government organization that has a different mandate and a different mission. Whereas our mission is, you know, we put our athletes front and center and we're there to serve them and to protect clean sport, which um, is, is different around the world. Yeah, and I think it's um, also an interesting note that people in the U.S. or beyond um, may not always realize is that um, in the U.S., you know, we don't have a sports ministry, and many countries around the world uh, most uh, have sports ministries. So these are areas of the government that are involved in sport. We don't have that here. Uh, and another point of possible interest is that um, USADA really is an independent organization, and um, this is a really important um, note for an organization like this that is um, a regulatory body um, and we operate under the world regulatory body, WADA, um, and we here at USADA um, really uh, appreciate our independence to do what's right by, by clean athletes. Allison, I'd like to hear your experience from an athlete's perspective um going through the testing process what what was it like what did it have any impact on you you know you're in the olympics you're you're focused on your your sport and your your competition does it have any mental like oh god i gotta go do this i mean i don't personally know um the the testing process so maybe we can just kind of throw that out there a little bit as an athlete at the elite level um in Olympic and Paralympic sport, you're required to, um, and we can go into details on, on how that elite level is defined, but I'll just play, play it as uh, simple as possible. But at the elite level, you're um, required to be located for testing out of competition. So you fill out uh, what's called whereabout, whereabouts filings, excuse me. And, um, and this information allows you to be found for testing at home, uh, at school, at training, uh, and then you expect to be tested and in, in competitions as well. And so what's involved is in and out of competition test. So when I was an athlete, um, I would get tested at home or a swimming pool uh, and somebody shows up and um, identifies themselves and uh, the process starts. You. Uh, have to submit a urine sample, maybe a blood sample, and um, and then then you know that's it. But it's a it's a pretty extensive process, and it's a pretty extensive responsibility, I would say, for the elite athlete in the Olympic and Paralympic um, sport. Um, I was really happy to do it uh, because fairness was really important to me, and uh, you know I really identify. Um, and always have since I was a kid with the Olympic values of pursuing excellence with integrity. You know, I wanted to um, express that part of me through sport, and it was really, you know, a lot for me about honor and representing my country. On the other hand, uh, 
sport governance systems and anti-doping systems, I think have a lot of room for improvement in terms of being athlete informed and um, having athletes as a part of these governance structures. So I would really love to see um, sport move in that direction uh, so that athletes have a uh, you know, a say in how uh, these structures are formed and implemented and, and how the system of sport internationally in the Olympic and Paralympic world is governed. And so we have a, I can go into those details, but we have a far way to go in the global setting to having that happen and defining, you know, who can play part in that is also an important part of that discussion. Um, but, you know, I, I really, this is what I love about my job is that, you know, advocating for athletes is, um, is something that needs to be uh, more incorporated into organizations like USADA, um, like Olympic committees, like governing bodies of all kinds. Uh, and these athletes, all athletes deserve to have collectively a voice that impacts these systems because their lives are being impacted by these systems and also failures in the systems and and athletes have a lot of expertise that I that I know is not um, considered in in certain settings and also um, people need to be educated on what that expertise looks like and how it can be valued and incorporated. Laura, do you is there anything else that you think um, athletes or um, or coaches, parents should know about the uh, the protocols and policies? Yeah, for sure. There's, I mean, Allison explained briefly about the whereabouts um, and the testing process, but that's underpinned by all the different rules and you know what substances you are allowed to take, um, what substances you're not allowed to take. But what if you need to take something because you've got a, a medical, a legitimate medical condition that requires that? And of course, an athlete's health is, you know, should be first and, and foremost. Um, so there's a there's a process known um, as therapeutic use exemptions or TUEs, and athletes can apply for one of those um, by providing um, all their medical records. Um, and you know, this is goes to a committee and and they scrutinize everything and then decide whether or not um, it is fair and appropriate in the sporting context for the athlete to use that um, medication because basically they they want to protect other athletes of, of, about an unfair advantage that might be um, made with using that particular substance but the TUE process can be quite um, complicated um, and there's different rules depending on the different level that the athlete is competing at. Uh, and so we have a, a really, really important team here at USADA, our education team, and it's their job to go out and to educate and to provide all the resources. Um, and we have a goal that no athlete is, should be tested without having access to that education and being brought up to speed on, every, on everything. So it can be a little overwhelming at first, you know, if you are a parent or an athlete to just, you know, click on the website, and what do I need to know? But um, our education team and also our outreach program to sport do a really great job of, you know, distilling the information and explaining it and then pointing you in the direction of the right resources um, that you need. Can, can, you, can you both tell us a little bit about the scope of USADA then and like how many athletes, how many organizations, how many tests are get performed annually? Like, 
what's it what's it kind of look like as an organization? I'm thinking that this is a, a really challenging system to operate in with so many different moving parts. Yeah, so we our core business uh, in terms of the testing is our Olympic and Paralympic programs. And that's where we, you know, we receive federal money um, to actually go out and, and test um, the Olympic and Paralympic athletes. So we we have about um, between two and three thousand athletes in the uh, like registered testing pool, and those are the ones that are um, supplying the the whereabouts information, and that we are testing um, on a regular basis. And WADA, the World Anti Doping Organization, gives uh, certain requirements that we have to test some of these athletes a, a minimum number of times um, per year. Some will get um, even more testing um, than that, depending on how often they're competing. Uh, so those those are the Olympic and Paralympic sports. Um, and then if you're you're not part of that that registered testing pool, you know you're still there's still an obligation um, to know the rules. And so that's where really where our education teams are reaching out um, to all of those those athletes and then in our true sport program we're going down uh, to the grassroots level and really making sure that we are educating everybody on the the olympic values the values of clean sport right from the early stages so as they're moving up through the ranks this is already ingrained in them they're all already understanding um, the the values that are so important to us and to connect there, Allison, with your point earlier too, if, if you're looking at the system and you're advocating for athletes, where do you find uh, there's an entry point? Like what's an example of how you could advocate or how could we change the system to better accommodate athletes' needs and desires? Uh, so for example, WADA, uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency just concluded their latest reform efforts and uh, they collected um, and heard feedback from various groups around the world involved in anti-doping and uh, you know we uh, align with what our U.S. Athletes Advisory Council wanted which was a more open fair democratic process for athletes to get involved in the governance of WADA and uh, you know that's that's something that uh, I don't you know USADA advocates for generally, but this is something that I was referring to early, that earlier, and that it's so important for athletes to have um, this chance to be um, heard, but also play a role in the um, governance processes. I guess, you know, the, one of the things that comes to mind that I've, I've, I've read and, and, and seen some of the research and social media is athletes talking about like, hey, I'm getting tested from the whereabouts, right? Like, one, you're tracking me all the time, so there's a little bit of a privacy issue, but also I feel like I'm being over-tested or I've been tested on, you know, kind of sequential occasions or weeks or months or something like that. And, and it doesn't seem to have a, a real effort into testing policy in terms of fair play. It seems just kind of redundant. I don't know if, if either one of you two, is that, a, is, is that a thing that needs to happen because of the way that performance enhancing substances and drugs use can can play in performance and we have to test that regularly or is it more of a random decision-making factor? Uh, so I can tell you, Dr. G, that we don't do random random testing. It might appear random to people, but but random testing is sort of has been shown through the research to not have a 
an effective um, detection or deterrence piece. So uh, the goal of our testing is, is twofold. Firstly, we want to detect if anyone's using um, a performance enhancing substance and, and, you know, the timing of that, when you might use, when someone might use a performance enhancing substance will depend on the substance itself and the sport and the time of year. And so, you know, it may, my, might make more sense in some sports to use something more in the early season or the off season, whereas in other sports, depending on the substance, the time frame might be shorter the competition. So we have to take all of that um, into account. And so the whole idea of that you can be tested anywhere at any time is really trying to get at both the detection, as I said, but also at deterrence. So if we can, if we can deter athletes from, from doping, that's obviously a win for us as well. The, the challenge is that, you know, if we were terrible at detecting people, we'd end up with zero positive tests. And if we're absolutely amazing at deterring everyone from doping, we'd also end up with zero positive tests. So it's quite hard to, you know, ascertain exactly um, our success. Uh, but I guess I'd say to your to your point that, you know, we are as an, as an organization really trying to be as strategic as possible with our testing. We're, we're trying to make sure that we aren't over-testing athletes um, if, we, if we can avoid it. So we're trying to be really um, thoughtful in our test assignments and, and put them out there to meet the needs of detection and deterrence and also to meet our requirements um, on the global stage as to what's considered um, a fair amount of testing for athletes. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'd add uh, to anyone listening, if, if you're one of those athletes, feel free to reach out to me and I'm sure the contact information um, will be shared um, via the podcast notes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's important to look at, uh, as an athlete, look at, you know, what's important to you and um, what your concerns are, of course, pass those on to us um, and get in touch. But also, you know, the goal is to keep the playing field level in terms of doping. And so, you know, if an athlete uh, thinks about you know, some of the athletes I competed against, for example, um, you know, the woman um, I won a silver medal to, uh, she, she cheated the doping, anti-doping system and, uh, and evaded the system for a while. And this is, this is something that we're trying to, as a global anti-doping community, uh, prevent from happening. So we wanna test athletes we want to know that they're clean. Um, we want to catch those athletes that are trying to cheat other athletes out of that level playing field and um, create those uh, injustices for other athletes and um, take those opportunities uh, both in uh, achieving fairness, but also career opportunities away from other athletes. So, you know, we are really focused on protecting that um, clean sport environment. Um, so, I understand um, the concerns and, uh, you know, as an athlete, former athlete, I certainly understand the burden of the system, um, but I also understand uh, the importance of, you know, catching cheaters and what that can do if they're not um, caught to the sport 
and also to individuals. Yeah, it sounds like to summarize it, you're, it's a price you pay for competing at that level. Yeah, yeah it's part it's part of it's part of the system at that level. Yeah. I get Laura too. I, I'm thinking too. Like, and, and, and I'm not a biochemistry, right? I do have an exercise science undergraduate degree, but how many how many folks are have you got folks right in this game of doping and trying to cover up doping and not get caught in the system? How how is the science advancing and changing, trying to develop new technologies to catch the latest designer substances? You know, who are those folks in the labs doing that kind of stuff? Like that's that seems like hardcore science work right there. Yeah. Uh, well, around the world, there's a number of water accredited laboratories, so that's where all our samples um, will go to for analysis. Uh, every every sample collected as part of um, the water code needs to be analyzed at the water lab. And we're really connected to that community. It's it's quite it's quite small, I guess it's quite niche, um, but those, um, those labs are, are really trying to, you know, constantly advance the research to improve their de uh, detection capabilities. And at USADA, like we pride ourselves on being really connected. Um, so we can tell, you know, through various intel or our experiences, we will um, collaborate directly with those laboratories for specific um, questions that we might have. Um, there's an example, and I, I hope I can summarize this succinctly enough, but um, we had a couple of cases last year where some athletes were testing positive for um, a metabolite of a prohibited substance, uh, and they, they, you know, were trying to work out where this was. Was it some sort of contamination? Should they be testing their supplements? You know, they, they were maintaining their innocence, and we through their detailed records we were able um, to track down that they were using various cos cosmetic products that ended up having the same that ended up having a substance within those cosmetic products that metabolized to the same um, substance so it didn't have the the cos cosmetics didn't have the prohibited substance there was nothing wrong with taking them but once they were in the body they were metabolized broken down into this exact same substance that was then flagging as the positive test. And, you know, this is a terrible situation um, for athletes to be in. So we, um, we had a member of staff, our chief science officer, actually using a sunscreen, lathering himself up and producing urine samples and sending them off to a lab in the US. Meanwhile, we had a, a lab in, in Europe also investigating the same thing. And we were able to prove, you know, this chain of events coming from there and actually get WADA to change the rules so that um, this metabolite, if it showed up, it had to have further, um, further investigation and that you could prove that it had come from the, either the prohibited substance or, or the cosmetic. And actually at the, um, uh, in Tokyo, I think, you know, that probably avoided a lot of athletes who were obviously using sunscreen from ending up with an unfair positive test. So I guess that's an example of how, you know, USADA, we don't just sit on our laurels. If, if we see a problem that requires investigation and, and further research, we're, we want to be on the forefront to try and uncover what's actually going on um, and make the system fairer. 
Well, and sub, um, supplements and all this stuff you see on YouTube, which just drives me crazy, but there's so much misinformation on YouTube about, you know, oh, I'm a nutritionist and I've got this great thing. It's going to make you perform so much better. Um, how do you, as an athlete, how, how do you find it? And there's, I've heard stories of coaches who have actually been giving stuff in supplements and, and athletes just taking them. Is, do you have any advice on how to kind of pick up on those things or maybe parents, you know, what, what you're looking for to kind of uh, see if it's happening without your knowledge? Yeah, we advocate for a food first approach in regards to supplements. Um, and also on our site, you can search for Supplement Connect and also Global Drove as two resources for supplements and medications to um, you know, get some education around those topics. And I guess I'd say to athletes or parents, coaches out there looking at a supplement, if the supplement has all these like wild claims that it's gonna do all this to your performance, that, that should be like your biggest red flag. You know, if why why does only that supplement, you know, is able to have the scientific research to back that? You know, if it if it would have got out by now, you know, to a to a wider audience. So just be careful of, you know, if the if the supplement label is listing all these things, has a lot of ingredients that you don't understand and and has like complicated um, you know, names of chemical structures. That should you should really start to be thinking about whether or not this is something that's appropriate for you to be using. Well, and then what's the, what's the USADA kind of position then on performance enhancing as well as safety? What if, what if we end up with designer supplements and drugs that are safe that don't lead to a spike in negative health outcomes, but they also are shown to increase performance? So. For a substance to end up on the WADA prohibited list. Yeah, usually, or, or, or off the list too. Yeah, so it's usually three. Um, it needs to fill two of three criteria. So there's that has the potential to um, enhance performance. It has the potential to be harmful um, to an individual. And then it also contravenes the spirit of sport. So that whole fair play, level playing field angle. And there's a, a list committee that every year they re review the list um, and some things um, might end up being taken off, some things might end up being added onto the list. Uh, and they're really assessing each of those, um, each substance by those three, three criteria. So often if it is not any harmful to health, you will find that it still ends up being on the list because of the potential to enhance performance and the contravening the spirit of sport. So for example, it, like creatine monohydrate, is creatine on the list or off the list? Off. So I can use creatine. Yes. So a right. lot of the things that, you know, might be a supplement there, they still require the body to do a bit of work. You take creatine and it's not it's not a given that that's going to enhance your performance. It's all to do with, you know, your training schedule as well, when you're taking it, how your body adapts. Whereas if you take EPO, we know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to perform, enhance your performance. So EPO is banned. Creatine it, and a lot of other substances like caffeine, uh, you know, it's 
it all depends on on how it's used and also its impact on performance is fairly minimal and variable. And I would really encourage athletes to be analytical about these things as they are about their performances and their competitions and their training. Um, you know, be attuned to um, your body and also analyze these things for yourself. Um, you know, somebody says this is guaranteed is safe. Uh, you know, that just doesn't, you know, it's a human body. Um, and, you know, there are certain things we really understand and know about the human body. Uh, but you just don't, you know, our bodies and, and um, natural sciences don't operate in guarantees. You know, it's more about trends and things like that. Um, and, you know, I'd say to in studying um, ethics, you know, one of the most important skills you can do uh, as an athlete in maintaining your own integrity is to, um, you know, evaluate, like I said earlier, evaluate everything for yourself, you know, take advice, listen to the, those advisors around you that you trust and that have shown themselves to be trustworthy to yourself and others. Um, but also really listen to yourself and in your own uh, wisdom and trust your analytical skills and uh, things along those lines, because you will, at the elite level, you will be held accountable um, for, you know, these choices you make, but if they do end up in a, a positive test or that scenario. Um, but more importantly, you know, you want to be able to, to live comfortably with yourself and um, really feel comfortable with your decisions and um, be realistic about your body and, and performance. And I find most athletes at the elite level are, because you have to be. You have to be realistic and, um, you know, to, to achieve excellence, you know, most athletes know, like, you won't have a perfect competition um, most, if not all of the time, but you may really excel in some areas that um, get you a personal best or an Olympic medal or something along those lines. But when you get to those levels, you know that um, these are not, um, you know, perfect scenarios and they are, there are a lot of factors playing in and treat, treat your body. And I know many athletes do, but for everybody else listening, you know, understand that the body and the science behind these things are, um, you know, they're well-researched, but there's also, you know, these claims out there that, that just don't make sense if you understand the basic workings of a, of a human body or, or uh, you know, the natural sciences. So, you know, trust yourself in your evaluation of that. So what I'm hearing is you get one body. That's it. Take care of it. Um, if it sounds too good to be true, probably is. And it's okay to question. I think there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of people who feel that the power of the coach, you know, that he controls or she controls how much I play or what my success level is going to be. It's okay to question it. And one of the things, one of the reasons we are developing the research database that we are is so that people like athletes have the access to check things out for themselves. And so question. It's okay to question. Yeah, and I'd, I'd really ask um, that parents and coaches and, and people around athletes encourage that. Um, you know, I did my thesis work in safe sport. So, you know, one of the risk factors in, in safe sport topics is, you know, this um, authoritarian approach to uh, coaching in sports. 
uh, because oftentimes young athletes are trained, especially young elite athletes are trained to never question and just listen and do what you're told. And it sets up a really toxic imbalance, um, not only for that athlete's personal development, but for their athletic success. You know, most athletes realize uh, when they're competing, they have to listen to their bodies in order to excel. But in those relationships, they should be taught to um, think critically because you will have to think for yourself when you're in a competition and after your sport career and, you know, in many other scenarios, but it's, it's only a part of the healthy process of becoming a better person and athlete. And, and if I can maybe connect that, it seems to me if you're an athlete just listening to your coach or doing what you're told, you know, and the coach starts giving you some supplements or some shakes to drink or some cream to put on you, and you just kind of nod your head and go along with it because that's the coach. And supposedly the coach has your best interest in mind, but, you know, they're really kind of slipping you something that they shouldn't be that's on a band list. And at, at the end of the day, the rules apply to you as the athlete. Like there are rules that apply to the coach too, but you're going to just saying that the my coach gave me this is – it's not going to get you off a, off a sanction. So athletes are responsible for what's put in their body. So absolutely, like, it is okay to question. And it's it's not just okay. Like, it's it's almost imperative that, right. that you do. Yeah. Well, before we wrap stuff up here, I there's um, one more question I want to talk about, and that is two specific substances that – that kind of are being talked about quite a bit right now. The first is uh, marijuana and, and using it for um, recovery and what the uh, view is on that. And then also um, testosterone and what aspect of that does USADA kind of encapsulate? In terms of marijuana, um, Olympic and Paralympic um, sport, it is prohibited um, to be used in competition at this time. Um, so, you know, that's what we educate. That is the rule. This is what we educate our athletes on. Okay. Um, you know, so there are, um, you know, reviews happening on this substance. And I can tell you from my sport ethics studies that um, there are a lot of researchers analyzing this substance and understanding, you know, how it um, interacts with sports and different sports. And um, generally, uh, I would say, and you correct me if you have a different perspective, Laura, but I would say this, the science community, I would, in the ethics community, um, you know, would say it's unknown as to, you know, a consensus on performance enhancement um, in marijuana. So uh, there's that. Um, I guess the, yeah. the thing to add to that is, Allison said absolutely correctly, it's prohibited in competition but what's not known is how long it takes to leave your your system once you use it so and it, that's dependent on you know the individual how their body metabolizes marijuana but also um how often they've used it the how much they've used the dose you know so there's no hard and fast rule that if you're competing on the sunday and you stop using marijuana on a monday that you you won't return a positive test on the Sunday. So this is where, you know, marijuana is a really difficult um, subject for us to navigate in the anti-doping in the anti-doping space because of that rule that it's only prohibited in competition, but 
the washout periods and the clearance is is so difficult to to determine. I think there's quite a bit of research going on about that as people are trying to use it in different areas. Um, testosterone, um, I know that it's in the in the news a lot because of transgender issues and levels and and that sort of thing. What part does uh, OSADA play in in testosterone as a performance enhancing? Yeah, so synthetic testosterone is on the prohibited list um, and is prohibited at all times um, across all sports. So that is one of the, the key steroids that we are um, testing for um, in our uh, in our testing programs. The, the interesting or the slight issue, I guess, with testing for testosterone is that all our bodies naturally produce it anyway. So the way that we end up having to test for testosterone is that we're not looking for like a specific level in the blood. We're at in, we're actually looking at a ratio um, between testosterone to another um, another hormone called epitestosterone, and those that ratio fluctuates um, and is also um, higher in males and females. And so, first of all, we're we're looking every sample is analysed um, to produce. I guess we call it a, a longitudinal passport. So um, you know the life cycle. I guess of your your um, TE ratio um, throughout, you know, your testing career. Um, and then if that changes, you know, dramatically up or, or down, we might then do a another um, special type of analysis that can determine whether the source of that um, testosterone, so whether it's come from a synthetic exogenous source outside of your body or whether it's just that that's what you're naturally producing. So that's our role in, term, in terms of testing for testosterone. So we, we are not involved in eligibility at all. So we will not be testing athletes to say your testosterone levels are below this. You are now eligible to compete in your sport. But we test all athletes um, for the prohibited use of testosterone and that's the same across the board anyway well uh, this has been wonderful thank you both for taking the time to uh to talk to us and our viewers and um we really appreciate your expertise and your time thanks thank you. so much thanks for listening make sure to leave us a five-star review and hit the follow button because there's more sport knowledge on the way if you're interested in more information or want to engage in further conversation about these and other issues in sport visit our website at spknmedia.com. To stay updated on all things SPKN, follow us on social media at spknmedia or email us at team at spknmedia.com and we'll be happy to welcome you to the SPKN community.